Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest on the podcast today is Cynthia Ryan, Executive Director of the Vestibular Disorders Association, OVIDA. OVIDA promotes awareness for vestibular disorders through testimony and advocacy, an extraordinarily important organization in the context of an illness that is often invisible, whose symptoms are not immediately apparent to people who know the patient and may not appreciate the incredible impact that the illness has on that person. Cynthia Ryan, you're very welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to be speaking with you today. And I want to start with the question, who is Cynthia Ryan and what can you tell us about yourself? Well, thank you for having me here today. I'm really excited to to talk to you and to your audience. My professional background is in nonprofit management. My mother, Eileen Haslam, has Meniere's disease, which is uh, one type of a vestibular uh, problem that causes periodic episodes of spinning vertigo, as well as over time robs the patient of their hearing and their balance as a result of fluid buildup in the inner ear. She also has several other vestibular connections, something called BPPV or benign paroxysmal positional vertigo that many people may be familiar with. It's when the crystals in the inner ear get out of place and also cause spinning vertigo. And she suffers from vestibular migraines. So she proudly calls herself a dizzy broad because she just has, you know, she's basically dizzy all the time. And, you know, and over time, this has affected her in so many other ways, you know, and I, I grew up with knowing that this was a part of who my mother was, but I never really appreciated what it meant to her or the, the impact it had on her. You know, I could see I and my, my siblings, the rest of my family could see the, the intense vertigo episodes. And, and those were a little bit more obvious. I mean, not really obvious because we couldn't see what was going on, but we could see how affected she was by them. But between the episodes, you know, we, we pretty much assumed everything was normal. And, and it wasn't until I started working for the Vestibular Disorders Association, uh, which kind of came about serendipitously, if you will. You know, I moved to Portland, Oregon with my husband and was looking for a job in nonprofit management. And this position as executive director was available. And I'm like, well, that's a perfect position for me because I can connect with that mission. And it's important for me to, in my, you know, my professional life to do something that I have a passion for, uh, because I feel like I can more genuinely speak to the, the audience or the community that I'm involved with. So when I started working for Vida, that was about nine and a half years ago, I started hearing my mother's story over and over. And what was just this thing that was my mom, you know, and we all thought, well, you know, maybe she's, maybe she's um, exaggerating or, you know, maybe being overly dramatic became real, you know, and, and I realized it's, this is a real thing and it, it affects her on a daily basis in so many ways. And, and that really, it was helpful for me, obviously, in my relationship with my mother, but also in my relationship with the community who I was representing, because I really felt like I could connect with that experience and help that community, help vestibular patients 
take their story and share it in a way that others could understand what they're going through. And, uh, you know, I, I like to say making vestibular visible because as you, as you have said, vestibular disorders are invisible. You don't see when someone is suffering. They don't have cast on their arm or a patch over their eye. Sometimes they walk with a cane, but more often than not, their imbalance is, uh, is not visible except in them, you know, reaching out to the wall for support, which unfortunately many people <laughs> misinterpret as clumsiness or, or even being intoxicated. And there's so many other ways that vestibular patients are, are impacted, not just in the physical, the, the common symptoms like dizziness, vertigo, that spinning sensation, imbalance, constant ringing in the ears or, or tinnitus, hearing loss. There are, there are more, even more invisible signs and symptoms like problems concentrating, cognitive problems, as well as anxiety, a generalized anxiety that goes with having an invisible chronic illness. So it's, it's really opened my eyes working with this community to what it's like to live with invisible chronic illness and to feel misunderstood by your community, by your loved ones, your family, your friends, your colleagues at work, or for, you know, and, and these conditions affect people of all ages. It's not just a, an old person's disease. They, we have many people in our community who are in their 20s and even parents of young children who have chronic vestibular problems, creates learning problems because of, of the difficulty uh, concentrating, difficulty looking at a computer screen, which is uh, ubiquitous these days. How do you live, with, live without that? So again, I see my, my role as being the voice of the vestibular patient, uh, of elevating their voice and bringing it to the world, which is why in addition to presenting scientifically validated information about vestibular disorders to help vestibular patients understand what they're going through, connecting vestibular patients to qualified healthcare professionals so they can get an accurate diagnosis and treatment, and also connecting them with support networks so that they don't feel alone, we're telling their story. You know, we are, we're, we're telling the story of the vestibular patient experience through many platforms, because that really is how people connect with what a vestibular patient is, is experiencing. And what I'm finding is that it's also how people who may have experienced these symptoms but didn't have a word to put to them. Maybe they'd even been brought them to their healthcare provider's attention and were told that it was nothing, you know, they, they were dismissed. It was dismissed as anxiety or stress or told it was just all in their head. They hear these stories and they're like, wow, I, that's, that, I, that's happened to me. And, uh, you know, and, and it's like this light bulb. And all of a sudden, they're connected with a community and resources where they can get help. You're right. It is a hidden disorder because it's not obvious from the way somebody looks that they've got a condition that is so disabling. What is the challenge of making that visible to the public, to the community at large? How do you tell the story in a way that really grasps the imagination of somebody who's never suffered this condition? You know, we, we ask that 
you know, how can we reach people who don't have a, a vestibular condition? What something that we've we've often said is you don't get it till you get it. You know, you don't understand what it's like to have a vestibular condition until it happens to you. And and I think that in some ways that's true. So, you know, I ask myself, well, why would why should somebody care? Why should somebody care about these invisible disorders? And one reason is because they're really quite prevalent. They are not rare. Vestibular, first of all, vestibular is kind of an umbrella term for many different types of disorders, kind of like cancer is. You know, there's not one vestibular disorder or problem. So when you think about it that way, disorders of the inner ear and the the nerves leading from the inner ear to the brain can affect you know that, that there's uh, one statistic here in the United States that they that uh, 69 million Americans will have vestibular dysfunction in their lifetime or one in 3 people if you're in a room if you think of it that way one in 3 people in this room will experience some sort of vestibular function dysfunction in their lifetime whether it becomes chronic or not so that's one reason that people should care is this is not uncommon and it could happen to you or a loved one and, and another reason is is the the dramatic impact that it has on people's lives, people and and their families as well. People can no longer work. They they can't. Many people struggle just going to the grocery store because of the the impact of busy visual environments. Many people in the past, before vestibular disorders were defined. Many people were misdiagnosed with agoraphobia for that reason. I think probably still are to some extent. So it really does impact the life of the patient and their family in so many ways. You talk to family members who say, we can't as a family do the things that we used to do because, you know, my wife has this problem. My wife, the son has this problem. You know, uh, we can't travel like we used to. We can't go to a family social functions because of, again, of the busy, uh, lots of people talking at the same time, lots of movement going on is different, and it just wears people out. You know, it fatigues them. So I think that's another reason that it's important to raise awareness about these issues is the impact it has on their lives. And, And I think that one of the ways we do that by telling stories is by being authentic. I I think people really connect with your story if you tell it authentically and relate how it impacts you and are willing to be vulnerable in this uh, project that we're working on now, the Life for Balanced Chronicles, which we'll talk about. Vestibular patients who are participating in this project are filming themselves talking about topics that affect them as a patient. And in many instances, we have people who whose emotions, you know, overwhelm them because they're reliving that experience. And every time I watch it, I'm affected here in in my heart. And I've laughed at their stories and I've cried. And I think that that is one important way to reach people is not only through the head with facts and statistics, but through the heart with empathy and real-life experience. Technology currently allows us to simulate a lot of experiences. So can we simulate the experience for the family of somebody who's a sufferer of this condition who don't really get it because they don't see what's going on? Well, it's funny that you say that. And I will say, I don't think there is a tool that is being used clinically for that purpose, but it's certainly out there. We hear about virtual reality all the time. 
and people experiencing, uh, inadvertently experiencing vertigo as a result of a virtual reality experience. And so, so there's that. There's also something that a game that I've seen on videos, you can look it up. Uh, it's called the uh, baseball spinning challenge, I think, where people will put their head on the top of a baseball bat and run around in circles and then try to stand up and they can't. They fall down because they're vestibular. They've basically just shaken up their vestibular system and simulated what it's like to experience a vertigo attack. There are also, like I said, there's so many symptoms of vestibular disorder, vertigo being only one of them. I had a, an interesting recent experience watching a, a TV show where it was a normal TV show with uh, speaking characters, uh, but one of the characters was deaf and was having a conversation with another, and so they completely shut off the sound. And it was a really interesting experience. So to experience what hearing loss is like, I think, is another great experience. And tinnitus, there are a couple of organizations out there that have put together tinnitus awareness recordings so that you can hear the different sounds of tinnitus because tinnitus is different for different people. It may sound like a a buzzing of an insect or the whirring of a washing machine, you know, the a swooshing noise of the ocean. It's different for different people. And if it's temporary, it's one thing. But imagine listening to a, a buzzing insect inside your head all the time. Tinnitus is a, a very serious uh, symptom that can literally drive people crazy. So I think simulation is a, a great learning tool. And I was thinking if you had all three of those, you had tinnitus, vertigo, and deafness, which is the reality for so many of these patients, life must be very, very difficult. Yes. I mean, both on a, you know, a logistical and physical aspect, you have what it's like to navigate the world when you can't hear, when your world is spinning, when as in, in, there's a condition called mal de debarkment, uh, which means it's like you're getting, when you get off a boat and you feel like you're still moving, imagine feeling like that all the time. So there's the, the physical aspect, but there's also there's so many other aspects of it, which we address in, in the Life Rebalanced Chronicles. There's the, the mental aspect, th- that feeling of just not being quite there, feeling just a little off, feeling having brain fog, which is a term that's come up a lot during the pandemic that people have been experiencing. So I think more people are being able to relate to that term. And then there's the, you know, there's the relationships, your, how your relationships with your family and friends change when you can no longer just at the spur of the moment go out to a restaurant. Many people can't go out to a restaurant at all because of the noise and, and the, you know, the, the motion, the physical hustle and bustle. And then there's this how your sense of self changes when you can no longer do the things that you used to be able to do. One of our members of the Life for Balanced Chronicles cast, uh, David, talks about how the fact that you know, he was uh, he was an emergency medical technician for 20 some odd years. He was his family's breadwinner uh, and he could no longer work. You know, his wife had to go back to work uh, to be the breadwinner for the family. And, and that was such a, a blow to his self-esteem. And, you know, the 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 process that you go through coming to terms with that 
that sense, your, your lost sense of self. Uh, and just learning to, we call it discover a life rebalanced, which I think it's a literal term in, in our community, but I think figuratively everyone can relate to that to some extent, especially if you've suffered from some sort of a, an illness, especially a chronic one, or been through any, any sort of long-term challenge like the pandemic. Nothing's the way it used to be. You have to learn to adapt, to discover a new normal, and to, to accept the, the changes and that things are not the way they used to be, but that doesn't mean that you can't have a fulfilling life. And that's a critical point, isn't it? That for many of these patients, there is no cure. They have to learn to live with this. And in time, certainly the symptoms become slightly easier to live with, quote unquote. However, it's still very debilitating. And there are still occasions when you get what they call an acute attack, a sudden deterioration in the symptoms out of the blue, no real pattern, and you are in some distress. So from your conversations with people, how many people eventually learn to live with this to the extent where they can live some, something like a normal life? I can't say that I have numbers, but I will tell you from my, my experience anecdotally that I, I think that, as you said, it, there's for many vestibular disorders, there's no quote, cure, unquote. It's about learning to live with it. and. A lot of that, well, number one, there's a whole process. It's, it's similar to the grief process. You know, you're going to go through some difficult times in order to come out the other side. And some people do that quickly. Some people do that. It takes many years and some people never reach that. My experience is that it's the people who, two things, uh, one, that find a community of support. I think that finding a community of support is a a good indicator of whether you will be able to find the positives in in within the negatives of having a chronic invisible chronic illness and and also being able to accept yourself uh, accept your condition without saying without saying i'm broken or i need to be fixed you know cuz it's i think the people who insist that they have to be fixed in order to be better are not going to not going to come to a place of acceptance and that acceptance is a big part of learning to to find and I don't want to use the word happiness but contentment or maybe even joy in your life and as as you know I was listening today to some of our community members talking about this. And one of them said, you know, I just want everyone to know, it's not like, I know we, we talk about, uh, we talk about all the things that, that we have done to, to come out the other side uh, of this disorder and, and be positive, but it's not like we're fixed. It's not like we're positive all the time. We have our moments and that's part of life. And I think it's part of life for everyone, but especially when you have when you have to face physical challenges on a possibly on a, a daily basis, you know, whether they're vestibular or some other sort of invisible chronic illness. So if I were to say in numbers, I, I think that at least 70% of the people that, that I have 
interacted with do make it to the other end and feel like their life is as good or even better. You know, that's something that I find amazing and very interesting is that many people that I've spoken with who've who've gone through this process, who have a vestibular disorder, say not only do they feel like their life is, you know, they, they, they have regained their life, they have learned so much about themselves and uh, uh, through in the process and ad- adopted a different perspective on life that they consider to be better. So, for example, Sandy, one of the people who participate participated in this project, the Life for Balance Chronicles, she's a new mother. And she said, you know, while she was going through her pregnancy, she was afraid that she wouldn't be able to be the mother that she wanted to be to her child. And that was really difficult for her to accept. And now she realizes there have been challenges. There have been things that she feels like she couldn't do in the same way because of her physical limitations, her fatigue, for example. But she is a more empathetic person and feels like that's something that she can pass on to her child is empathy, having empathy for herself and for others. So, you know, there's something about what we learn about ourselves that you know, changes our whole life experience. That is an important message because somehow, and we hear it all the time, we hear from people who have experienced cancer and other chronic illnesses, that somehow it makes them stronger. That is not in any way denying the extraordinary challenge of having very debilitating symptoms and both psychological, physical, and social challenges to your life. But somehow it does make you in some way, stronger in the sense that you come to accept that life isn't going to be perfect all the time. Let's talk a little bit about Vida next, because one of the things that you said early on in this conversation is people who do well find community, and in that community they find solace, and in that solace and strength they find solidarity and ability to move forward. How is Vida operating in that way? When people come to Vida for help and you know, we have many people who come to our website. We also have a very active Facebook page and, and we work with people one-on-one. We try to lead them through a process where they, A, become empowered to be their own best healthcare advocate by learning about their condition. B, as I said, get connected to qualified healthcare specialists, but C, to get connected to a support network. And, and it's different for every person and therefore we have built different support platforms. We have one-on-one support groups, which before the pandemic, believe it or not, actually met in person. And even before the pandemic, we were developing online support groups where people could meet in a Zoom-like setting. So it it's, you know, small groups of about 10 people who can connect one-on-one and share their experience and and people who are newly diagnosed and still struggling with learning to to cope with their daily symptoms, get advice and support from more seasoned vestibular patients. And then we have growing from there, we have an online forum where people can connect online and share experiences on the topic, topical level. They have a question, have you tried this type of therapy? You can search the forum for topics and, and it's an easy way to to interact at any time of the day or night. So uh, you don't have to find a time when it works to, to find this group. 
We also have Facebook groups that are facilitated by volunteer vestibular patients where, again, at any time of the day or night, you can get on and just say, this is how I'm feeling. You know, have, has anyone else ever experienced this? And invariably, I mean, this one of the groups has, I think it's over 13,000 followers or participants in the group. There's always someone who has shared your experience and can support you in that. So I, I think that Everybody has to find what's most comfortable for them, but being connected with a community is so important. It's the first thing that I hear when people find us is, I thought I was alone, and now I know I'm not. That's true of so many conditions that we hear about on this show. Patients say, I felt alone until I reached the people who have a similar condition and were able to give me the strength that I needed to go on. How is VIDA funded? How are you organized? Because it would be fantastic to have this kind of service for a lot more conditions. How have you done it? Well, we're a nonprofit organization and we're very small. People are, they, they're always amazed when they see our website, which has so much information. And granted, you know, we've been around for over 30 years. So we've had a lot of time to build up a library of resources, but we only have six employees. So, and none of our employees are healthcare providers. We rely greatly on the, the resources of our volunteers. We have ad hoc volunteers all across the world, literally all across the world. And we have volunteer committees that work on special projects. We have, uh, for example, a, a medical advocacy committee and a legislative advocacy committee. And we have committees that work on we have, for example, we have a, a conference coming up uh, in February. We have a subcommittee that works on that. So we also have a, a volunteer ambassador program, which are patients and healthcare providers who are ambassadors for the cause. You know, they're, they have experienced a vestibular disorder or they work with people who, you know, they care for in their professional life, people who have vestibular disorders, and they want to raise awareness and help others. And they do that through their own social networks. Some of them actually have created their own blogs that have and developed quite a following. But even, even with people who, who don't have a public-facing platform, just by taking Vita's materials and sharing them on their social, their personal social networks, that's what social networks are about. It's about amplifying the voice of, of a cause. And that is a wonderful thing that anybody can do to support VITA and vestibular awareness is to, to follow us on Facebook, to join our email mailing list, and to, to share the materials that we produce, which are, you know, which we have taken the time to present in a way that, that speak to people both within and outside of the vestibular community. Cynthia Ryan, it's been an absolute joy speaking with you. What you do is so very important. This is a hidden condition. It's an invisible condition. Thank you so much for all that you do. And I look forward to sharing another conversation with you very soon. Thank you so much for having me. And, and thank you to everybody. And check out the Life Rebalanced Chronicles to learn more about the vestibular patient experience. The Health Design Podcast. Sponsored by the Patient and Physician Advocacy Alliance. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com.